0: James chapter 5, as maybe you have been aware of it, not just chapter 5, but other places in the book of James, it almost takes on a flavor of New Testament Proverbs, very short statements, very short, if you will, uh, references to the Word of God in the Old Testament. And so James is wonderfully and creatively preaching this sermon so that those of the church who have been dispersed will be encouraged in their days on this earth. I've entitled this particular message, Wait Upon the Lord. And most likely the most familiar verse that has that as its theme is Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31 that says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up as eagles' wings. They shall run and not grow weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Waiting upon the Lord. Now, if, if we would just take a few moments to think about that statement, waiting upon the Lord, we, we find ourselves on the wrong end of the proverbial stick, I would say. We're, no, not, we're not very patient people. Well, let me rephrase it. I'm not a very patient person. All of you are perfect in your faith, and I really appreciate that. But I'm still growing in mine. But when the apostle, when James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, as he writes to these individuals, he has a message for them, to wait upon the Lord. In fact, if you study notes there, you'll, you'll realize that waiting upon the Lord it means being patient. Not only that, but waiting upon the Lord also, there's a warning against grumbling. And waiting upon the Lord, there's a desire that he wants for us to have a harvest of great character. Those are the main themes that we're going to get through in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Let's read these verses together, shall we? Therefore, be patient. There's our first word that we don't like, but that's okay. It's there. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the uh, until it receives the early and latter rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endured. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Above all, my brethren, do not swear, neither by heaven nor earth, or any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. There was a wise man who lived on the northern frontier of China. And, and one day, for no apparent reason, his horse ran away. When people in the community tried to console him, he said to them, what makes you so sure this isn't a good thing? Some months later, the horse returned, bringing a splendid, brand new stallion with it. Everyone congratulated him, and, but this man once again said, what makes you so sure this is a good thing? The wise man's son loved to ride this wild stallion, but but one day the wild stallion bucked and the son fell off and broke his hip. He could not walk. Again, the community and the people came to him to console him, and he remarked by saying, what makes you so sure this isn't a blessing? Not long after, nomads from another across the northern border invaded the land and it went out that every able individual, bodied man, was called to defend the country. And this community ended up losing nine out of ten men. But because the man's son could not walk, he was allowed to stay home and care for his aging father. This story illustrates something that we need to grasp from the book of James, chapter 5, 7, 12, and it's this. We don't know whether things that happen to us will prove to be a blessing or a curse. Scripture even goes even further. It teaches us that sometimes what we consider to be the best thing for our life literally turns out to be The worst thing. And yet the worst thing that we think is happening in our life turns out to be the best thing. So, this morning, we want to deal with, as James says, as he begins by saying, Therefore, brethren, be patient. From last week's study, we we saw the words and the warning that James gave to those who were described as being rich. His warning was key to the fact that the actions of those that were described in the first six verses of this chapter were predicated upon the fact that they had totally forgotten about God. Now James begins this new section with the word, therefore. The word, therefore, can also be translated in light of the previous information. So at least we know that James is most likely attending to those who thought they were not being treated well. Uh, They were the ones, as James writes, that their prayers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. And he will make things right. But yet still, they needed to be patient. In fact, in, verse, in the previous verse of therefore be patient brethren until the coming of the Lord. It's an interesting word that's that's translated coming. In in three other passages, it's the same word, and and yet it has it can mean a couple of different things. In particular, Matthew twenty four and verse three, after the disciples say to Jesus, "Look at all of this temple. Isn't this great?" In chapter twenty three and. And Jesus tells them that not one stone is going to be left upon another stone. And as Jesus leaves the temple, his disciples follow him and they begin to question him. And they ask him, what is the sign of your coming? Same word. What's the sign of your coming? Again, as the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians verse 4 and or chapter 4 and verse 15, he talks about giving comfort to the brethren because they were concerned that those who had died and were buried were going to miss out on the blessings of heaven. And so James or the Apostle Paul begins to tell them about the coming of the Lord. And then again in 1 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1, again the term is the Apostle Paul teaching them, I want you to understand some issues about the coming of the Lord. And then again it is here, until the coming of the Lord. Which one is James talking about? The scriptures are very clear that there are two comings. In fact, literally, there have been ones already been fulfilled and there's two more. The first coming of the Lord was at his birth. Which, by the way, I, I need to mention the fact that pretty soon is going to be walked through Bethlehem. There's, there's going to be a lot of hairy-faced guys walking around church. And, and and I've been asked, and it's a great thing. Uh, we need some some extra help this year. We need a couple of individuals who wouldn't wouldn't mind being tribal leaders, and I believe we need a couple of shepherds, wise men. A couple of wise men. We got enough shepherds. We do. Okay, good. Uh, communication was going good there. That's good. We need, we need a couple of wise men. And, and so if you could help us out, that would be great. Anyway, okay. Jesus came first. Matthew chapter 1. And, and then again in, in Luke chapter 2. It's the birth of Jesus. He, he came once. But there's two more. There's one that is called coming in the clouds to meet us. That's what the Apostle Paul is referencing in First Thessalonians chapter four, that the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. It's the exact same word in the Greek. Here's your word lesson for the day parousia. It literally just means the appearance. So which one is James talking about? Is he talking about Jesus coming in the air? Or is he talking about Revelation chapter 19? When Jesus literally comes to this earth and establishes his kingdom. Let me let you in on a, on a little secret. It doesn't matter which one it is. It's all going to be made right. Amen? <laughs> it's all going to be made right. James says, be patient unto the coming of the Lord. And James is talking about what appears to be these brethren who are suffering. These are the ones who seem to be being pushed down, almost carelessly, by those who are referred to in the previous verses as being rich. They weren't being paid. They were being taken advantage of. And through that, they were being suffered. They were suffering. And so James tells them to be patient. And what he tells, what he refers to that, is that they are to keep their hearts and their eyes open for the coming of the Lord. I'm finding myself more and more in these days to say I can't wait for Jesus to come. I can't. I read in his word the dynamics of heaven And I can't wait to see it myself. After the first million years, I might get around to having a discussion with Peter. Or maybe David. Or maybe James. But in that, that anticipation of knowing that Jesus Christ is coming again, it is the great foundation of our faith to know that even in our circumstances of life which seem to be a suffering situation, that there's hope. There's hope that is coming. James uses a great illustration, for he talks about a farmer. And, And the great thing about it is that he says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rains. What's interesting about those two rains is that the first rain, the early rain, which would be in the fall, remember they're on the other side of the globe, and so their seasons are different than ours. In the fall is the rains that come and prepare the soil so that when the farmer begins to work it, the soil is receptive to the seed. And then the latter rains are those rains that after the seed is planted, and as it begins to grow, then God provides rains for it to produce a great abundance of fruit. And so the illustration here that James uses about a farmer and how he patiently waits, the idea of it is is that he's done everything that he can do. He, he, He has finished all of his work. He's not sitting on the porch in a rocking chair. He is busily doing what he's supposed to do in order to help the seed to mature, but he realizes at the same time that it's still up to God. It is God who brings the rain. You can plant the best seed, the best fertilizer if you choose to do that. But if it doesn't rain, it'll die. It's a great idea. It's a great picture of faith. Farmers have to wait on the Lord for rain. And even in their times of of planting and plowing and and, and, and getting the seed in the ground and, and, and getting it ready to receive the rains, still there's a time of suffering when it doesn't pan out the way they thought it should. But if we use this illustration of rains and equate them to sufferings. James is suggesting that during times of suffering, just like the farmer's field before any harvest is visible, God is at work in our hearts doing something that we may not be able to perceive. Yet that is of great value. If we persevere with God's help, we will one day experience A great harvest. But James has a warning. A warning about grumbling. James writes in verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned or could be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. We don't tend to uh, view grumbling and complaining as serious sins. But James specifically names grumbling because he regards it as as serious sins that will lead to God's judgment. In the Bible, in the books of Exodus and Numbers, you will notice that when God delivered the people of his own people out of Egypt who had been there for 400 years and led them through the desert en route to the promised land. They grumbled. They grumbled about not having meat. In in Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 and 3, they grumbled about not having meat. They wanted meat. And, And Moses said to them, God's going to provide you bread from heaven. Here's your Hebrew word for the day. Okay, you ready? God provided mammon. Which in the Hebrew means, what is it? The first day they woke up and they saw this bread laying on the ground. That's how it got us. What is that? That's God's provision. But... In the book of Numbers, chapter 21 and verse 5, they began to loathe the bread that God provided. There was even a time that God said to Moses, Stand back, Moses, I'm going to wipe these people out. I've had enough. And Moses said, No, God, uh, I'd like to have been in that conversation. Moses said, don't do that. Uh, That won't be good. God said, no, 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 Moses, stand back. Let me wipe them out because I'll make a nation out of you. (laughs) I see Moses said, I'm not having any more kids, man. This is ridiculous. But there was a time in Numbers chapter 21 and verse 5 that because of their grumbling, God sent serpents into the camp. And they bit the people. Then God told Moses to fashion a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and whoever looked at it would be healed. Grumbling. Why is it that that grumbling is so serious? Because, well, part of the reason is that because grumbling distances us from God. And the other part of it, too, is that it causes us to focus on things on this earth and we view them as being unfair. And it's unfair. And when in all of actuality, what we should have been is our eyes and our hearts should be focused on that great day, that glorious day when the Lord returns. C.S. Lewis, in a book, he wrote this, you may become a grumbler, and if you become a grumbler, one day you may not be able to get out of it. But God has a plan. As James tells us, he wants to have a harvest of great character in us. Another author wrote this when he said, spiritual maturity is not asking God for a change in your circumstances, but for the spiritual power to be with you as you go through your circumstances. And James, as we alluded to earlier in verses 7 and 8, when a farmer is preparing his field in anticipation of the harvest, It may seem to an outsider that nothing is happening. All they see is brown dirt with nothing growing. But yet, what is happening is underneath the surface. God is preparing us. We have to make sure that we understand and remember the main purpose statement of the book of James And it is the maturing of the saints. We find ourselves looking back at chapter 1 and verse 4 when it says these words, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And we know that trials and tribulations are those things that produce in us faith and patience. In fact, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, it reminds us of this purpose when the Apostle Paul says, be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And then later on in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul reminds us "For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God has determined that we should walk in them. A great harvest of of character. As one author describes it when he was doing a study in John's Gospel, chapter 15, he went to a vineyard. And he says these words, When I got to the vineyard, the manager told us that we had come during the pruning season. What I saw were vines that were bare and ugly. In fact, we saw the men cutting all the branches except the two that were closest to the vine. When I looked at the vine that had been pruned, it looked pathetic. They looked horrible. And, of course, they had no visible fruit. As I said, all the branches had been lopped off except for two, and I was told by the manager that unless the vines went dormant, endured the cold winter, and then were pruned, it would not be possible to produce good fruit. So many times, in the same way, if we want God to produce a harvest of great character within us, then we too may very well have to go through seasons of darkness, seasons of winter and of cold, yes, and even of pruning. But the end result, by God's grace, is good fruit that's fit for the Master's use, recorded for us in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 26, the fruit of the Spirit. But in verse 26, the same warning that James gives in James chapter 5 is don't complain against one another, be careful. And so when a person is going through suffering, sometimes they'll ask, did I do something wrong? And some people assume that if they are successful in a worldly sense, they are being blessed by God. But if they are suffering, then they're being punished by God. Again, James draws our attention away from that fact as he describes it in in, in chapter 5, in, in, in verse 11, or in verse 10, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. I challenge you to go through and read all of the prophetic books in the Old Testament. You begin by reading the book of Isaiah. And from there, all the way up through the book of Malachi, or Malachi, whichever one you wish, you'll find out that no one ascribed, no one said in their kindergarten class, I want to grow up to be a prophet. No. Many of the prophets highlighted in the word of God suffered for what they were doing. In fact, if if you look at the lives of Isaiah, Jeremiah, And Job. Isaiah, it is said, as God told him, you're going to preach, but they're not going to listen to you. History tells us that at the end of Isaiah's life, he was sawn in two. He was killed. Jeremiah preached the word, and he was thrown in a well. Job. We are introduced to him in chapter 1 when God has a conversation with Satan and says, Have you considered my righteous servant, Job? And all that Job went through. And so when we find ourselves, and if you think you're suffering, don't necessarily think that you're being punished because of some evil. It might be because God loves you and wants to produce something of greater value in you and through you, which results in your suffering. James is telling us what is true of the farmer when it seems like nothing is happening in the field of our life. When things are being pruned and cut away, it feels like we're losing what we have. And when things look as ugly as severed, pruned vines. God may be preparing us for something far greater than we can imagine. If you are suffering now, or entering into a time of adversity, remember the words of James, remember the law of the vineyard, the law of the harvest. It may seem dark, like nothing is happening, but God is producing something of great benefit beneath the service of your life. And when it seems impossible to keep going on, remember this Jesus is coming, and He'll make all things right. Let's pray. Again, our Lord, we thank you for the lesson and the power of your word that even in the moments of what seems to be of great suffering, You have a plan. A plan to produce in us a harvest of great character, of great fruit. And ultimately, we can stand in confidence that one day you're coming to make it all right. So, until that day, oh God, may we be patient, waiting upon you as a farmer in his crops, as a prophet, in his words. May we trust in you. As James reminds us again, Jesus never fails. He's coming again. And we rejoice in that truth this morning. Amen.